Welcome to the American Academy of Dermatology's Dialogues in Dermatology podcast series. Hello, this is Lynn Cornelius for Dialogues in Dermatology. Today we will be interviewing Dr. Zachary Hopkins, who is currently a resident in internal medicine at the University of Utah Health in Salt Lake City, Utah. We will be speaking about his recent paper entitled Melanoma Prognosis in the United States, Identifying Barriers for Improved Care. Dr. Hopkins is first author on this paper that has a startling finding that states with fewer melanoma diagnoses have higher death rates. Welcome to Dr. Hopkins. Thank you, Dr. Cornelius. Um, pleasure to be here. Great. So to start this off, um, can you tell us what specific questions regarding melanoma prognosis prompted you to do this study? And what questions were you attempting to answer? Absolutely. Yeah. So the inspiration for the study really came from this uh, investigation done by Forsy et al. Um, a few years back. And they used the same measure, the melanoma to incidence ratio that we use. And they were looking at survival for melanoma across different countries in Europe. And their primary finding was um, actually associated with per capita healthcare spending. And that, you know, as the system spent more money in the healthcare, uh, the melanoma survival was improved. So after reading this study, I looked through our dermatology literature here in the United States. I hadn't seen any studies that really used this same measure to look at you know, disparities in uh, melanoma survival. And so wanted to apply that same type of um, thinking to the United States here. And so the kind of extension of that that came to my mind was looking at differences in melanoma mortality to incidence ratio, you know, or survival between states. Um, and so the main questions we had were looking at, you know, first off, is there any difference in survival between states, you know, any outliers? Um, and kind of the descriptive side of the study. And then additionally, we wanted to see if there was any predictors. Um, and we kind of split those predictors into two groups. Um, the one group, which was kind of our primary emphasis, where I had hypothesized there would be a difference more, was the healthcare differences. So meaning uh, per capita healthcare spending, um, you know, physician density, differences in um, healthcare insurance that people had in the state, that type of thing. And then kind of a more secondary rudimentary analysis was looking at demographic features as well. Um, you know, different ethnic, uh, you know, minority groups, um, race, if you will, and um, as well as uh, household education, that type of thing as well. And just for our uh, listeners, can you reiterate what um, exactly the mortality uh, incidence ratio is? Yeah. So the mortality to incidence ratio is um, mathematically just what it sounds like. So we use the um, you know, age-adjusted um, mortality and incidence ratios for, or incidence rates for each state, and then we just divided the mortality by the incidence. And the idea behind this is, is you get um, basically a mortality rate that's been standardized by the incidence. Um, and this has been used in a variety of different papers in the cancer literature because it kind of approximates case-based survival, if you will. You, you know, if you kind of think about it mathematically, I guess you take this mortality rate, you divide it by how many cases there are, and you can imagine it's kind of a rudimentary, a rough estimate of case-based survival. And so you can use that to take these areas and say, okay, if you standardize incidence rates of 
you know, each state by its incidence rate, then maybe you can see areas where survival is not as good. So okay. it's been used in the past to look for, is there areas with different, you know, demographic makeups? Do they have different rates and, and that type of thing? So, yeah. Terrific. That's very helpful. Um, what database did you use for the study and what factors specifically did you assess to address your these questions? Yeah, so it was an interesting kind of data setup in that regard. We used just the SEER um, database for our incidents and mortalities. Um, and then for the other things, we used kind of a mix of um, census data. It was mostly census data to get the um, demographics, race, um, income, uh, education levels, that type of thing. And we were just looking at the overall state levels of those. So there wasn't, you know, it wasn't tied to our mortality incidence database. So that was kind of an important limitation that we noted in our paper was that um, the demographics that we were comparing weren't the same demographics as those of the people with melanoma necessarily. It was just the overall state. Um, and then likewise, we used, you know, census database, and I believe Kaiser Institute was what we used for the um, uh, health insurance rates and um, per capita spending. Um, okay, but yeah, great. we so use outside the, databases. Right. Those are the databases that had the most robust data for what you actually were looking for. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. And did you include all stages of melanoma and why or why not? So we included um, stage one and up. We didn't, we excluded any um, in situ. Um, mm -hmm. And there's kind of a variety of reasons to that. One was, um, for in situ melanomas, you know, there was there isn't really any mortality risk associated with that. So it can potentially skew that um, mortality to incidence ratio. It basically only adds to the incidence and doesn't add anything to the mortality. And so you can get this artificially lowered MIR um, okay. was our hypothesis. Um, and then also just any um, differences in reporting between states. We felt that there might be a little bit more room for um, fuzziness, if you will, in, in that area in reporting. And so we thought that we'd get the most kind of robust estimates if we took um, state, you know, T1 and up, if you will, no, sure. no insight to. Sure. And um, as far as methodology goes, you kind of hit on this a little bit earlier, but what methodology did you use and um, for which analyses did you use specific uh, methodologies? Right. So initially, we used just kind of a basic descriptive analysis, looked at the average and median, you know, MIRs over the years that we had available in our database. Um, and then we also used um, basically just a basic linear regression to look at trend lines. So we wanted to see what the kind of trend over time, um, over the years that we had available for MIR were. Um, and so that was an important part of the analysis. And then um, when we were looking at the actual predictors, we used kind of an adapted form, if you will, of linear regression um, where you utilize panel data and a fixed model. And we did that just because there's a lot of, as you might imagine, intrinsic differences potentially that exist um, between each state, um, time invariant um, variables, if you will, things that we didn't have. And so we wanted to control for these kind of nested differences in each state. And so we could compare directly the variables we were looking at with MIR over time. Um, and so that was, that's what we used for that. 
that makes sense. So what overall trends did you find in MIR? Yeah, so I think one of the trends that were um, that we could interpret as somewhat being optimistic was that for most states across the country overall, we had a, a decreasing trend in MIR over time. And so MIR can be a little bit odd to interpret. So just for those listening, um, as you might imagine, a, a, a smaller MIR is better, um, you know, a smaller mortality after you've controlled for incidents. Um, so, so as it goes down, it's better. And as it goes up, it's potentially worse. So, so for most every state over time, we had a decreasing trend in MIR. The one exception was Alaska, but we know it's kind of a, we can't really interpret it. There was only two data points um, for that. And so that's to be taken with a very large grain of salt. Uh, but for the most part across the country, MIR was going down and kind of the notable trend in that is that for some states it was significantly going down. There was a significant negative trend over time. And for some states, that trend was somewhat negative, but not significant, uh, statistically significant. And so, um, you know, our, our, our feelings for this was that, you know, we can potentially learn things from these states that are dramatically decreasing their MIR over time. And perhaps we can look at states where that's not significantly decreasing and look to see if, you know, perhaps there's things we can change there, or maybe they were just better in the first place. And so, you know, understanding these trends can allow for better study in the future. Right. And what specifically, um, the, the states that had a higher MIR or a worse prognosis, was there anything you could glean from that? And if you found something, was it predictable? It's difficult to assess with this kind of state level data. Um, I think you know, we tried looking for our predictors, uh, what predicted MIR. We had a couple ones that came through after multivariate or multivariable analysis, like um, number of physicians in the state and um, percentage of the state that was non-Latino Caucasian, um, which was kind of odd. Um, and again, difficult to interpret given that these are not, these are state level demographic data and not melanoma demographics, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, and so um, at this point, I think, you know, the key findings here really are kind of the trends. In, and one of the big things to note here, too, is that in our predictive model, um, the fixed effects, the variance that's associated with each state was really the biggest component in the model. Um, you know, that's really what predicted things most. And so I think the big thing to note is seeing these states with high MIRs, um, maybe with trends that maybe aren't as, you know, where things aren't as decreasing as much as we'd like, perhaps, or that have more spread from year to year in their data. Um, I think it really necessitates further study at the state level, where we mm -hmm. can investigate more what that state level variance was and what those state level differences in the system might be that are um, acting upon that. Right. So the local um, kind of legislation drives probably kind of what happens um, in right. many areas. So, right. you know, yeah. I know one of the surprising findings was the thing that has gotten a lot of um, interest was that states with fewer melanoma diagnosis have higher death rates. Could you speak to that? Yeah. So, um, that was um, something interesting we noted kind of early on in our initial um, just correlational analyses. Um, and it's it's something that I wish we could 
get more predictors on and really hash out. It wasn't quite possible with our database, but something that probably deserves some further attention, um, you know, like I mentioned at the state level. But, but we had a few hypotheses regarding this. Um, you know, we thought about states such as our own here in Utah or, you know, others with these big systems where we see a lot of melanoma. And so our system is pretty finely tuned. You know, the dermatologists know that um, this area, for example, is very high incidence of melanoma. Um, people are aware of it. The general practitioners are aware of it. There's screening. You know, there's a lot of educational campaigns. Um, you have a big center here for it. So, so we, our hypothesis was maybe that these states that see a high melanoma burden, you know, they have a healthcare system that in a variety of ways is somewhat tuned to detect them and people are just kind of aware of them, both the system and the population. Whereas maybe these other states where it's rather rarer, you know, maybe aren't quite as attuned to that or are thinking of it quite as much. And so our point, I think, of highlighting that was to say that, you know, in no state was incident zero. <laughs> so, um, you know, even if it's rare, we really need to still be looking out and that perhaps we could benefit from even focusing educational, um, you know, outreach efforts in those states, which is somewhat counterintuitive in that it's not a hotbed area, but, you know, that maybe just some reminding might be necessary or some increasing, you know, the scale in these areas might be needed. Right. And there's no way to know this, but you um, did you speculate at all that maybe underreporting may have something to do with this in areas that aren't um, as attuned or maybe at large healthcare centers? Yeah, so that's a that's a great point. Um, and we mentioned kind of briefly in the limitations, you know, this idea of underreporting leading to a heterogeneity in the data. Um, and and I think that's a great point. It, it very well could contribute in this sense. You know, we cited this paper by um, it, it was a really interesting paper by Cartier back in 2011. But they did a, a survey among dermatologists in the country about proper reporting practices regarding melanoma. And it was, you know, it was a fairly impressive number. They found that it was well over 50%, I think 56, 56 60% or so of uh, dermatologists were not aware of the requirement for reporting melanoma diagnoses. And there was some predictors as well, you know, that could potentially be more, I'm trying to remember, there was differences in practices and kind of how long you've been practicing um, that were predictors of not reporting as well. And, you know, so it, it's very possible that these states with lower incidences, you know, the physicians might not be as aware of the reporting requirements yeah. or I would agree. You know, differences and, um, in things. I agree. And I, I've seen the same thing happen. And I think what um, maybe physicians are not as aware and feel that the pathologist will um, probably report, which many do, but it depends on mm -hmm. probably where you send your pathology and what type of a lab and things of those lines. So I think that probably, to your point, probably is a contributing factor. So Definitely. with the few, with the um, states with fewer melanoma diagnoses, and you touched on this earlier, any relationship with socioeconomic status or healthcare spending or anything along those lines? Um, yeah. So in our kind of initial univariable analysis, there were kind of in intrinsically what you'd imagine, you know, more spending was better survival and that type of thing. But after we controlled for those in our multivariable model, those all kind of fell out. Um, of note, the um, we really should note our confidence intervals for those in the multivariable analysis were rather large. And so 
you know, you always have to take that with a grain of salt. The, the, the confidence interval ranges certainly did include what would be significant endpoints, you know. Um, but, but ultimately, yeah, the only ones that remained significant um, predictors of uh, MIR were, were number of physicians in the state practicing overall physicians. And then, like I said, um, a larger percent of non-Latino Caucasian mm-hmm. people in the population. Yeah. Okay. No, that's terrific. And we really appreciate um, the studies, the study that you have done. I think it does help us to understand a lot about reporting and about, um, you know, mortality to incidence ratio and a very important disease to us as uh, dermatologists. We look forward to you becoming a dermatologist with your training at uh, Barrett Health in Florida next year. And just to sum it up, um, do you have any take-home messages for dermatologists or for healthcare in general? And how do you think your findings helped us to enact change in um, melanoma MIR? Yeah. So I, I think one of the big take-homes um, I wanted to express were the overall trends in MIR and just hopefully being able to, to have people see these data, um, look at their states, and hopefully, you know, be... Uh, a component of change in that state, you know, be able to look at these data and say, oh, hey, you know, maybe there's something going on in my state and start moving towards compiling a database in that state, finding data in that state and doing these kind of local analyses where I think a lot of the really enactable change will be found. Um, So I really hope that our data can fuel that effort um, and be used as, you know, evidence to support that effort. and then likewise, I think, you know, if, if we are in an area, you know, hopefully practicing dermatologists can see this and think about their practice, you know, their reporting practices um, and make sure we can all work together and really making sure we're reporting incidences of these diseases and working together to really make sure our databases are accurate and that our calculations are accurate from that as well. Um, and, and just being kind of aware of this idea that there might be disparities of care that we can look at with this measurement and use this type of study for, um, and then hopefully, like I say, translate that into the local area. I think that would be, you know, a, a tremendous outcome that could come from this <laughs> that I would that's, certainly hope for. That's terrific. No, thank you so, so much um, for, on behalf of Dialogues in Dermatology, we want to thank you for your work and for taking the time to uh, discuss your paper. And um, we look forward to future work from you um, coming up. Wonderful. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me here again. Our pleasure.